Now? Better? There we go. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's my fifth time teaching, and yet I still can't figure out which switch on the microphone is off or on. And I always double check, I always overthink it, you know? Good morning, everybody. Uh, how are you all doing? You all right? Yeah, we're doing good. Doing good. Good. Good to see you all. Uh, yeah, uh, the mustache thing. This is important that I note this. Uh, I know everybody thinks I have a mustache, and Michael has a mustache, or Carson grew a mustache. It's a whole thing. No, this is purely by accident. Um, no, actually, it's not, because I definitely trim it and make sure that it looks nice. Uh, my wife has told me that I should get rid of it, and uh, so maybe. We'll see. I don't know. But we, we had the mask mandate end at, end at school last week, and so when I took off my mask and stopped wearing my mask, every single, it just wrecked them. They were like, you have a mustache? And uh, so that just destroyed them and their entire day, just, re, re, uh, just blew it all up. Um, so in that sense, I like to keep it just to mess with the middle schoolers, which is always fun to do. Uh, so as you know, we're going through a series of talking about spiritual disciplines or practices. And a few weeks ago, I shared this image of a MLB pitcher, former Mets pitcher, Bartolo Colon, just fully committed swinging at a pitch. Do you guys remember that from a few weeks ago? Okay. Oh, good. You remember. Perfect. Uh, and the thing about Bartolo Colon is he swings at everything, he was committed, he enjoyed it, he was awful at it, and it was hilarious every time he got to bat. But even though most of the time it was a disaster and his helmet flew off and everybody laughed and he had a good sport about it, uh, there was one moment in the summer of 2015 when that all changed, and it was probably one of the greatest moments in baseball history. Uh, we have a video of it that we're going to watch. Oh, yeah. Fully committed. Yes, and it was against the Padres, too, which is great. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. What are you going to do? Anyway, he hit a home run, and it was like one of the greatest moments in baseball history. Bartolo Colon pitched for like 20 years in the major league, and he's really only known for this moment where he hits this home run. I mean, look at him. He's having a great time. Uh, and then it's like the, all the players like left the dugout, and they all came out and like celebrated for him. So it was super, super cool. I remember watching that live and being like, that is just fantastic. Um, and so the reason why I bring that up is as I've been working through my time in the spiritual disciplines, as you've been working through your time in the spiritual disciplines um, and practices, we kind of find ourselves sometimes between two extremes. One extreme is, man, we're, we're committed, we're trying, we're having fun, we are committed to, but we are just, it's not, it's not quite happening, all right? Uh, and on the other sense, we're like, oh man, I'm fully committed, I'm having a blast, and I'm hitting dingers all day, all right? And you find yourself probably somewhere between that spectrum. Hopefully you find yourself somewhere in between. You have moments of victory and moments where you're like, okay, I need to rethink this a little bit and retool it. Um, but I, I want you to know that I, I hope it's going well for you. I hope that you're enjoying it. I hope it's a journey that you're embarking on and traveling through with us. Um, I know it's sometimes a challenge because it disrupts so much of our rhythms of life, um, yeah, but I hope, it's, I hope you're enjoying it. I hope you're finding yourself, finding victories, finding uh, rhythms that work for you where you're uh, pressing into Jesus and enjoying that time. Today, we're going to talk about uh, the second discipline in, we'll be in what Richard Foster calls our external disciplines, and that is service. Um, and as we've been using this guide, service is one of those interesting things that we know is like a central tenet of the Christian faith. We know that like prayer, things like that. We know we're supposed to serve. We know that out of love and out of following Jesus, service is always going to be something that we do. 
Um, and as a discipline, it kind of takes on a different flavor, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 20. Uh, chapter 20, verse 20. We'll read this and then we'll, we'll pray and we'll move, uh, keep moving forward. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him, that's Jesus, with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? Speaking of his suffering. And he said to them, Then they, they said to him, We are able. And he said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but is for those for whom it has been prepared for by my Father talking about the suffering that these two disciples would experience. And when the, ter- the ten heard it, they were indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you acknowledging, Lord, um, our selfishness, our self-motivation that so many times drives us, compels us. And we pray, Jesus, over... um, the people in this room today, myself, Lord, your people that you've gathered in this place, Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit would be here with us to guide us as to what it means to serve and what it means to adopt a discipline, a way of life, a practice in our life around service. Um, so Jesus, be with us today. Be here. Be teaching us from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to start off by asking a question. Uh, what makes someone great Or what is true greatness? And perhaps like a a logical follow-up question would be, how do we become truly great? Our culture does a great job of measuring greatness, and it measures it in a few ways. Uh, We're going to look at this pyramid example. And just to give you an example, this is a pretty typical way of the way our culture measures greatness. We say, okay, there's an elite Great, middle average, common, basic groups. This is kind of like separated out. And the minority of people are in this elite, great category as far as like their skill set. And then the middle, there's kind of like, you know, your average people. They're not, they're not like really bad at something, but they're not like really good at something. And at the bottom, it's kind of like the general population. Right? We just kind of all kind of exist in this little bottom part of the pyramid. By the way, this is the way our culture measures it, right? I'm not saying this is correct or valid or whatever. I'm saying this is the way it is. And to give you an example, we have like this breakdown of athletes, okay? You have your really good high school player. I would be somewhere down here towards the bottom, okay? 
And then you have your Division I athletes. And then you have your professional athletes, right? And then within the professional athlete, there's like the Hall of Fame athletes who are like the professionals of the professionals, right? Let's try one more. We have the way our government works. There's a, a group of people that we elect to make decisions. The majority of people elect those individuals to go and create laws, and it goes all the way up to the top. Next one. We have this idea of influence being the same as greatness, okay? The great are the influential, the powerful, the people in a position of power, the ability to move the needle. And the bottom, there's a less common, less influential. They don't have a whole lot of power to influence change on a, on a major scale. Let's look at probably the most common way to break this down, which is, of course, Instagram followers. Okay. Now, I looked, I looked this up. I spent time examining this, okay? Uh, you have f- essentially six different groups, uh, and I kind of combined some of them together. There's nano-influencers, like nano, like microscopic influencers, which is like, you know, 1,000 to 10,000 people. You guys will have that many followers, you know, okay? 7% of Instagram people are nano-influencers or micro-influencers. That means there's 90% of people that are just kind of like posting pictures of their food and their grandkids, all right? Next one. There's a mid-tier macro-influencers. That's 2.7%. That's where we're getting into like the serious business, like 500,000 to like a million, Okay? And then there's mega influencers, all right? They have the power to totally move the needle by posting something like when Justin Bieber wears like an Under Armour sweatshirt and everybody freaks out and says, oh my gosh, it's in style now. Let's all do it, okay? At the top, that's like your 300 million people. They have all of them on Instagram, all right? And then Michael is somewhere down here. He's down here towards the bottom. <laughs> Which is true. He's got a 1,000 followers. He is, by nature, a micro-influencer, okay? So now every time we introduce Michael, we don't have to say Pastor Michael. We can say, like, nano-influencer Michael, okay? And then, you know, Brett and I are somewhere down here towards the bottom, just a measly 400 or 500 followers, all right? But we measure greatness by influence. You say the more influence you have, the, more, the greater you are, the more powerful you are. And in his uh, commentary, Matthew Green says this about this passage in talking about greatness. He says, greatness in the world is measured by status. In the kingdom, it's measured by function. In the world, greatness is shown by ruling. In the kingdom, by serving. Let me say that one more time. In the world, greatness is shown by ruling. In the kingdom, by serving. I know we all tend to kind of like look at cults and go, yikes, like I don't want to be a part of a cult. But literally, you follow people on Instagram. You give yourself over to that influence. Isn't that interesting when you think about the idea of having followers? People literally follow me on Instagram. And it's an interesting idea because we look at those people and say, we're going to permit you to have influence into our life. You're powerful. You have 300 million followers. Because you have so many followers, you're therefore a legitimate person. And so I trust whatever you say. But the logic is, is interesting because what we say is culture says greatness is a measure of how many people you have following you, how much wealth you have, how much power you have, how, about, how much influence you have to move the needle. And yet in the kingdom, it's defined by service. So we're going to take this in five chunks. We're going to go service as a discipline. We're going to talk about that. We're going to distinguish true service from false service. We're going to talk about some struggles we have within service. And we're going to talk about service and leadership. Does service eliminate the need for leadership or does it change our perspective about it? And then how can we serve? 
Um, what if, before we start, I just want to show you one more slide, and that's the next pyramid slide. I jumped out of it. Sorry, Sergio. Um, we talk about if we are to measure greatness, it's the one with the supernova happening on it. Do you have that one? Yeah, there it is. Okay. There's supposed to be, a, it was a GIF, so I'll just explain what the GIF did. It was like the pyramid, and then the pyramid blew up. It was like a whole thing. Because sometimes you think like, okay, in order to, to redefine greatness, we have to flip the pyramid over. And that's like a rebellion, right? We, the, bottom, the, the bottom class overthrows the elite, and then the pyramid flips, and now society is finally put back in normal with this rebellion. But what ends up happening is, and you can find this following any sort of rebellion with any sort of culture, the oppressed, once they get power, become the oppressor. And so on and so forth. So we know the pyramid model, although it's the way our culture decides to function, it doesn't have to be that way in the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus isn't about inverting the pyramid. He's about destroying the whole idea of the pyramid altogether. Okay? In terms of value. Now, again, our culture will operate this way, and it makes sense. There are CEOs that run companies. There's a board of directors, and there's the employees. It's just kind of the way things go. But in the kingdom of God, we don't measure our greatness by this. So let's talk about service. Part one. Here we go. What is service as a discipline? Now, we're going to make a distinction here. Every Christian is called to serve, all right? It's not like if you, it's like, well, I'm not going to do the service of discipline or discipline of service, so therefore I don't have to serve anymore. That's not the way it goes because out of love and compassion, you're going to serve people, all right? But as a discipline, we say we take on this tool to help us towards an end goal, right? So Dallas Willard says this about discipline. Discipline is engaging our goods and strengths in the active promotion of the good of others and causes of God in our world, okay? That's the distinction between, or that's our definition of service. Now, as a discipline, it becomes a tool that we adopt into our life with an end goal. Service as a discipline is a way of training ourselves away from arrogance and possessiveness and resentment and covetousness. It's a tool we take into our life to train us away from those characteristics. And the Bible really uses, in the New Testament, uses two different words to kind of describe service, and it's mentioned in this passage. He says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. So there's two different definitions. One, doulos, meaning slave, which is one who gives up himself to the will of another. And then we have Diakonos. Was that how you say it? I don't know. I should have put it phonetically. It's too late. It means it's like a deacon. Where you get that word from? Is one who executes the commands of another. And they're, they're different, but they're similar in one way. The individual is giving up their will to another. That's the basic definition of those two different distinctions. And notice both are voluntary. All right, we're not talking about involuntary servitude or involuntary slavery, which we all can agree is an abomination. We're talking about voluntarily putting yourself under somebody else's will, their direction, them taking you somewhere. We talked about submission last week, and this is kind of building on that. So if we know that that's our definition of service, okay, and to say it one more time, engaging our goods and strengths in the active promotion of the good of others and causes in our world we have to make a distinction between two different types of service. One is service we do for ourselves, self-seeking, self-righteous, false service. And the other is true service. And Richard Foster outlines this in his book, and I've got an exhaustive list of what he kind of put in here in summarizing it. Here's what characterizes self-righteous service. He says, first, it's about human effort. It's impressed with the big deal. 
It requires external rewards. It's highly concerned about results. It picks and chooses whom to serve. It's affected by moods and whims. It's temporary. It's insensitive. And it fractures community. If you're serving because you want to feel good about yourself, and you're serving because you want to look like a servant, you're falling under the self-righteous service category. Now, to contrast that, he says, this is true service. True service is not from human effort. It comes from a relationship with God. True service is not impressed with the big deal. It sees the small tasks as more important. Self-righteous service does not require, or true service does not require external rewards. It's content in hiddenness. It's content if nobody knows what you're doing. True service is not highly concerned about results. It's freed from the need to even calculate results. It doesn't pick and choose who to serve. It's indiscriminate in its ministry. It just serves everybody because everybody is worthy of service. It is not affected by moods and winds or whether you slept well or you've had your cup of coffee yet. It ministers simply because there is a need. It's not temporary. It's a lifestyle. It's not insensitive, but it can withhold service as freely as perform it. You know, people that try to like will their service on people, let me help you. My son Ollie is two, and he got my wife's personality a little bit, which is like wants to do everything by himself, but he can't do everything by himself, including put on his socks, Okay. So when he tries to put on his socks, he's like, no, I'm going to do it myself, myself, myself. And I'm like, okay. And then he eventually comes to me for help. I don't force it on him. That would just make him angry. We can learn how to serve by going, okay, maybe this isn't the right place for me to do something service-wise. Maybe I need to just give them space and let them do their thing. Self-righteous fractures community. True service builds community. So that's a big distinction between we talk about these two different aspects of service. Now, take stock for yourself. You're honest with yourself. Don't tell anybody. Where do you see more of your service falling into? When you help somebody or you aim to help somebody or encourage somebody, do you see yourself falling more into the self-righteous service category or more in the true service category? As we were praying this morning and in our silent time we just had, I really felt the Lord press on my heart, don't perform, obey. Right? So self-righteous service is performance. I want to look and feel a certain way. True service doesn't even have that as a part of its notion. It's okay if nobody ever mentions anything. It's okay if nobody ever congratulates them. It just is service. And look at this as deposits in a spiritual bank account, if you will. When we serve out of self-righteous service with that motivation, we are simply depositing those acts of service into a worldly flesh bank account. They were taking a great thing and making it about ourselves. But when we live in true service as a discipline, we deposit those things into the Spirit, into our walk with Jesus, and that shapes us. So if we look at it from that idea, we realize that when we live in false service, we simply are depositing into the flesh. When we live in true service, we are depositing into the Spirit and investing in the Spirit. Okay. Let's come up from there. You all right? Everybody with me? That was a lot of information. I'm trying to keep this thing short, so I'm moving quickly. All right? Uh, everybody doing okay? So far, so good? Any questions? Just kidding. We don't have time for that. All right. Uh, let's go to 1 John 13. Not 1 John, sorry. John 13. John 13.
So in this section, these, these last few sections, we're going to tackle a couple more questions. The third question we have is, why do we struggle with true service? Why is it so difficult for us to understand really true service and to act in that way? And the unfortunate part of it is our society is built on equating greatness with influence. And our culture looks at this as very um, endearing service, but incredibly unappealing. Right? See this stuff, we go, that's just how the world works. But as a believer, we, we, need to, we need to pull ourselves back from that lens. We're not supposed to be like that. We're supposed to adopt a different way of living. And the world right now is really more obsessed with power than ever. Charisma or giftedness or smooth talkiness is the way to the top, not character. The goal is to conquer the pyramid, get to the elite class, never compromise your power, never give up your power. Work 80 hours, weeks, because you got to get to that top part of all the influence. And Jesus says, listen, if your goal is to be great in the world's eyes, yeah, you know what? You could probably get there. In fact, our culture is kind of built upon that idea. But once you get there, you find it's kind of vapid. It's kind of empty. And we look at this idea and we go, yeah, but, I mean, service, if I serve this way, aren't people just going to take advantage of me? I don't want to get walked on. I'd be like, oh, yeah, ask Carson. He's a sucker. He'll help you move. <laughs> Anybody here drive a pickup truck? Well, that's in Redmond. Everybody. Okay, so. Uh, but anytime you have a truck, you used to always be like, oh, he, oh, they'll help you move. This is great, you know, right? So everybody's like, I remember Brett and I talked about this when, he, when I first moved here. He's like, I have a truck, and everybody asked me to move. Now I have to kind of like tell people I don't have a truck anymore. <laughs> but that was the fear. Like, aren't people just going to take advantage of me? If I give to that person on the street, aren't they just going to do something evil with it? So what's the point of even doing that? And that logic, which we all share, if we're honest, is a flawed perspective. Because here's a picture of Jesus in John 13 that ought to shape our idea of service. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he'd come from God and was going back to God, verse 4, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment. And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And when he poured water into a basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said, Do you not understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The fear of getting walked on in our culture is kind of unique. 
We feel like we've worked hard for what we have, for the time that we have. And so we look at it and we go, it's not fair that I should have to give something up to help someone else. And in doing so, Jesus points us back to this passage and says, listen, this is a symbol of what I am doing for you. Literally takes on a whole identity. And by the way, washing the feet of people was pretty much a faux pas if you were a Jewish rabbi or if you were a Roman citizen. It would offend everybody. It would have been shocking at the time, and yet it's a very simple and mundane task. We look at this and we go, whoa, Jesus, the God-man, came down and washed the disciples' feet. But if we look at it in its context, this is just a remedial task that Jesus does to show his disciples that service is not the flashy, it's not the big, it's the simple. Foster says, if we're concerned with this idea of people will take advantage of me, he says, right here in that statement we see the difference between choosing to serve and choosing to be a servant. When we choose to serve, we're still in charge. We decide who we will serve and when we will serve. And if we are in charge, we'll worry a great deal about anyone stepping on us, that is, taking charge over us. But when we choose to be a servant, we give up the right to be in charge. There is freedom in this. If we voluntarily choose to be a servant, we surrender the right to decide who and when we will serve. We become vulnerable and available. Now, the idea of even being vulnerable is such a crazy idea in and of itself. The picture we see of Jesus in here stands in a blatant contrast to the way of the world. The world says you have to keep power. Jesus says give it away. The world says don't let anyone tell you what to do. And the way of Jesus says there's joy in submission. So we have to ask ourselves, do we, really want, do we really want it this way? Do we really desire humility? Because if we're not going to be more humble, but you're not going to be more humble, you're not going to become more like Jesus by telling yourself every single day to be humble. Okay, today I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm going to be humble. And when I face something that makes me feel unhumble, I'm, going to, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to be humble. But that's the logic we just think we're going to achieve it, but... Service, the act of service, the discipline of service drives us into humility. It helps us find a foundation we're in. We are moving towards this character attribute of humility. So we have to ask this last question, or second to last question. Does service eliminate the need for leadership? Does it say, okay, if you're going to serve and we're going to have a characteristic of serving as a boss, does that mean we just don't need leaders anymore? In short, No. Remember, God is a God of order. He puts leaders over our life oftentimes to teach us how to operate with humility in service. And uh, Jesus doesn't eliminate the need for leadership. He doesn't say leadership is a bad thing. But in service, he redefines it. Dallas Ward says this, service is even more important for those who find themselves in positions of power. The biggest lesson on serving is directed at his leaders. That was our Matthew passage. You want to be first, you've got to be a slave. You want to be great, you've got to be a servant. So this doesn't eliminate the idea of the pyramid. It just blows it completely up. Yes, you're going to have leaders. But you know what? Those leaders are supposed to embody service to a whole different degree. Servant leadership. Jesus totally and completely rejects the pecking order systems of the day 
and the spiritual authority of Jesus and the authority not found in position or title. Jesus in this moment says the spiritual authority is not found in position or title, but in towel. He says if the cross is a picture of Jesus' submission, then the towel is the picture of service. So as believers, our life is supposed to be defined by a whole different perspective of greatness. This idea of washing the disciples' feet, like I said, is a mundane task. Now to close it out, let's talk about how we can serve. And I want to point out something really important that I took from Foster's book that I thought was really, really impactful to me. Service is the mundane. It's the ordinary things we do. We think of service that has to be this massive picture. We have these words that go with service, like we're going to have a church service. I work in the service industry. I serve our country in the military. All great things, no problem. But they make service into something that's very big and extravagant. Service is actually the everyday. It's the mundane. It's the remedial task we do without the desire to be known or to be praised It's the little things we do, the decisions we make every day to benefit our spouse or our kids or our coworkers. And the reason behind this is simple. The big things are what people notice. Little things nobody really takes into account. Service is mundane. It's the ordinary. It's the everyday. So to close out, as we kind of wrap up, I want to point out this picture of these different ways that uh, Foster kind of outlines in his book talking about service and what we can do, all right? He gives us nine things. And and as much as I want to tell you, like, this week, practice this, maybe one of these categories really strikes you, and it can be what you can adopt into your life this week. Number one, hiddenness, which I think is spelled correctly. I'm not sure. Being content to serve without praise or to serve in unseen ways. It's a service of hiddenness. A service of the small things, simple assistance in a small and trifling matter, charity, guarding the reputation of others, avoidance of slanderous talk. Maybe in your job right now, people don't really like the boss, and when you sit around the lunch table every day, it talks about how bad they are. You can serve your boss. I'm not saying he's a good or whatever person, but simply not engaging in that conversation. I know that was convicting for me this week. I had a, had a rough situation and uh, having to work through this kind of normal work stuff and dynamics, I, I had to figure out how to do this in a better way. Being served. Sometimes you taking on and being served is just as hard as serving. If you're a fiercely independent person, you need to let people serve you. Recognize their kingdom authority over you. The service of courtesy. Acknowledge others. Affirm their worth. How are you? Thank you. Please, letters of appreciation, RSVP, responses, responding to emails and texts on time. I am notoriously bad at this. All right? I apologize to somebody this morning because I knew he was going to see this sermon and I had to be like, hey, sorry I didn't respond to you about that text last night. Um, but doing that, being courteous, that's a service. Taking the time to, to show somebody your appreciation. I don't know if you've ever... Anybody's ever come to you and told you how much they appreciate something that you're doing, like, specifically? They don't do that, like, kind of overarching thing where they go, hey, thank you for all that you do. And you're like, really? All of it. (laughs) Thank you. No, I appreciate that, yeah. I am doing a lot, so thank you for all of it. Uh, 
But to be specific, to go, hey, listen, I, I, you know, you, you worked on this project. I noticed you specifically did this, and I really appreciate it. I know it took a lot of time. Thanks for doing that. That, I mean, it's like blows people away. They're like, whoa. The other night, my son, Leon, came up to me, gave me a hug, and said, Daddy, you're a great daddy. And I was like, wow, it just like floored me. Not because I didn't already know that I was a great dad, but the fact that he noticed it, the fact that he finally got it, that's what I was really excited about. Uh, moving on, hospitality. Open your homes to one another regularly. Hey, do you want me to bring anything? No. We got it. Just come and be in our house. Okay? Listening. The beginning of love for your brother is to listen. It requires compassion and patience. We don't listen very well. I don't know if you know our culture. We don't listen very well. We like to like a lot of noise, but we don't listen to people very much, you know? But actually sitting there and actually, when somebody asks you how their day is going, they're kind of talking through it. You're not just going, okay, how can I get out of this conversation as quick as I can? Or you're thinking about something else. Or they say something that's kind of crazy and you're like, ooh, I've got to ask them about that. Instead, just being there, it's like the service of attention. Again, my son Leon, from the time he wakes up at 2 o'clock in the afternoon until he goes to bed at 7.30, he is talking the entire time. He's four, so I think that's common. He's just going, narrating everything he's doing. And I get annoyed by it. But stopping and going, let's just sit, let me ask you some questions. Let's talk about this. Giving him my attention and listening is a service to him. Bearing of burdens, if someone in your life is going through something difficult or hurting, your opportunity is to serve them by weeping with them, by being there with them. Not necessarily doing any action, but just being there and carrying the burden with them. And then finally, sharing the word. When God reveals the truth to you for somebody or for yourself, you're willing to go and share that. So let's close out with this. I don't know how many of these will strike you or encourage you this week, but I hope it inspires you to go and do something service-related. If that means just doing things without being seen, then go for it. If it means finally sitting down, putting your phone away and turning the TV off and just spending time with your spouse and talking and listening, that's a service. The ordinary, the mundane, the simple. Don't focus on the next big thing. Instead, focus on the here and now. And focus on being present. Let's pray. Jesus, we invite you into our life. We invite you into our week this week. God, um, would you be with us in our time together? Would you remind us of these nine different ways, God, that we can serve, that we can love, that we can encourage? I pray, Jesus, that you would lead us into your truth this week, reveal it to our heart where our service is being motivated by self, uh, self-righteousness. It's false, God. And move us into that true service. We're really loving people. We're really encouraging people. And we're doing so regardless of how they show their appreciation or the status that it creates, the dynamic that it creates. Um, God, focus us on you. You wash the disciples' feet. You showed us what it meant to be a servant and a leader, God. Remind us that true greatness is not climbing the pyramid. It's not getting more influence or power or promotion. True greatness is serving. And in that, God, I pray you give us victory. You reveal to us our humility that's growing, God. We focus on serving you. We focus on serving people this week. Lead us by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.